Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Latest, the official podcast of The Brock Press, where we take you beyond the headlines and do a deep dive into some of the many interesting articles written by our team this week. My name is Noah Nickel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Brock Press and host of The Latest, and today I'm joined by, as always, our managing editor, Holly Morrison, and also, uh, for the first time, one of our sports and wellness editors, Liam Nielsen. How are you both doing? I am. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be making my debut on the pod today. Days off to a great start. I uh, guessed my wordle on the third try today, so hopefully it's uh, it's all smooth sailing from here on out. I think that's that's a sign of great great things to come. Um, I'm also doing good. Days off to a good start. Got up early today, um, so we're doing good. Yeah, me too. I was up at nine thirty. That is bright and early for for me if anyone knows how much i hate waking up early and also three on wordle is probably the best score you can get without it being luck uh we're ringing in reading week with a very uh very busy uh week here at brock there's a lot going on in the world uh, but we are here to talk about at least some of it uh the the first thing that kicked off this week was the rams big win at the super bowl uh, also, you know, the Olympics have been continuing this whole time and, you know, some of the discourse around that has kind of gotten the gutter, which we will also be talking about. And lastly, there was actually a settlement reached in a class action lawsuit against Airbnb that will see users of the site, uh, people who have rented through there, um, receiving credits over the next few months. So all of that is coming up next. So uh, with that, we'll get right into it. Okay, so we'll start things off with the Super Bowl, like Noah mentioned. So I wrote about that this week. It was the uh, last in a long line of notes from the NFL columns that I've been writing throughout the year that I know our non-sport-centric folks on the staff team have really loved editing. I know that for a fact. But it was a pretty good game, I think, all things considered. Um, The Rams kind of jumped out to a a hot start, taking a 13-3 lead early on. Bengals... Scored a touchdown before halftime. Then we had, you know, the star-studded halftime show that everyone's talking about uh, in L.A. Bengals really uh, had a had a great stretch in the beginning of the third quarter with the first play, 75-yard touchdown, and then uh, an interception leading to another field goal, and the Rams were able to close it out. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on sort of the the outcome itself and sort of how the Rams built their team and sort of some big picture thoughts on the season and going forward. But I mean, first of all, I want to ask like, so I'm, I'm a big football fan. I watch probably, I would say like 75% of the games this year, but what are your folks' relationship with the Super Bowl? Did you watch it this year? Do you typically watch? What are your, uh, what does that look like for you usually? I did not watch this year. I am not a big football person. Um, it's just not one of the sports that I follow. Um, I think mostly because when I was in high school, my family really liked football, and it wasn't cool to like anything that my family liked, so I never got into it. Um, but I usually do work, watch at least the Super Bowl just to sort of know what's going on, what everyone's talking about. It's like a fun, big event. Um, but on Sunday, I had a big sports sponsorship paper due, so I was doing that instead, and then I just kind of forgot that the Super Bowl was happening until it was like already halfway through so it was like what is the point in turning it on um and yeah did not watch wasn't really that engaged with it this year if i'm being honest this is probably my most engaged year of football ever which is not 
a high bar at all. I'm not a sports fan. Um, nothing necessarily against sports, just not really, not really my bag. But football would be the most closest to something I enjoy and even somewhat keep up with. <laughs> uh, most of my knowledge is limited to Liam's column, which as a non-sports fan, I actually have enjoyed. I thought you were, I think you were being sarcastic in your intro, but I did enjoy every uh, notes of the NFL column and learned quite a bit. Uh, and so I've watched a handful of games here and there during the regular season. Um, playoffs, I watched a little bit more. And then I watched the Super Bowl with a couple of my uh, friends. And we enjoyed it. But I've, I've always watched the Super Bowl since I was really little. Like, since I can remember, I've pretty much seen all of them. Because we were going through uh, you know, the, the past halftime shows. And I was remembering a fair amount of them up until like 2007. So it's been just like a random thing that we do. It's not like a big deal. Uh, my dad's a fan of football, but it's not like be all or end all really. So I don't know. It's just kind of been a tradition of something we watch when February rolls around. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I always like, cause I'm, you know, so ingrained in, in the sports world and, you know, I spend so much of my time consuming sports content and watching games pretty much every single day. You know, every night I get home and there's always something to watch. But, I, you know, it's always easy to forget for me that um, many, many, many people have different relationships to sports than I do. So it's always kind of good to hear from the other side on that. But, Noah, you mentioned the halftime show. I wanted to get into that a little bit. I, unfortunately, did not catch the halftime show live because I was uh, playing host and making uh, nachos for everyone that was at my house. So I had to miss it, unfortunately. But... Uh, I did catch it on replay. What were your thoughts on on that whole thing with, you know, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Kendrick, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, both cameo from 50 Cent? How, how was that for you? Well, on top of not being the biggest football fan, I'm not the biggest rap or hip-hop fan at all. Uh, but even I knew almost every single song that was played and, frankly, enjoyed the entire thing. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it had a great energy while, like, just continuing to watch it throughout the game. Like, it, it fit really, really nicely right in the middle there to get, you know, everyone just riled up for the second half. Uh, one of the better ones, I would say, in recent years, certainly, uh, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of The weekend, in my opinion. Uh, nothing against The weekend. He actually has a lot of good music, a lot more music closer to my personal tastes, but not fitting with uh, the Super Bowl environment, if you ask me. And I, you know, I'm, I don't know if that's a commonly held belief, but I just, you know, kind of lost me last year. But anyways, uh, back to this year, much, much uh, better, much more fitting with uh, being in LA and much more fitting with the, you know, football environment. Uh, yeah, 50 Cent's uh, cameo was hilarious. <laughs> Him hanging from the the ceiling like the the old music video. That was really funny. Uh, and all the memes that came after that. Uh, Anderson Pack also had a little cameo there on drums that a lot of people uh, missed. But I'm uh, definitely a big fan of him. He's really impressive, prolific producer. Uh, an important music figure today. But anyways, yeah, really great. Curious your thoughts having watched it. Uh, after the fact yeah i was just going to mention actually on your 
on your point about the weekend, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the lineup this year definitely fit a lot better for the, the football Super Bowl environment. I will say what I thought was missing from this year was just the, the production value and sort of the stage presence. I mean, last year with the weekend, it was it was a spectacle. You know, he was going through the, the Mac Chown-esque uh, mirror maze and out on the field, just littered with all the dancers. From I'm, I'd have to go back and watch and see exactly what he was doing. But it did feel like that was more of a a spectacle, a production than this year. But I think what really got this year kind of over that hump was, um, you know, the nostalgia for one, and then all of the artists, a lot of the artists' relationship to L.A. specifically, to the host city, I think is a really important thing to keep in mind as well. But I think the nostalgia piece is is what really drove that. And I think, you know, we're seeing that more and more um, as we become the audience, you know, us as, you know, coming into our early to mid 20s we're starting to become the audience that the nostalgia is being catered towards which is uh, a little scary a little jarring i would say um but you know it reminds me of something in the non-sports world of like the new spider-man movie right you know bringing back toby Maguire, he was the guy that we grew up on as kids and then you know look who the the people who love that movie the most are everyone that's our age, right? So I think it's sort of a similar concept going on there with the Super Bowl halftime show, um, if that makes any sense. I don't know. It's any other, you think of either of you think of any other like recent examples of like, you know, really pandering towards the mid 20s crowd that grew up uh, on early 2000s products or am I rambling or what's, what do you, what do you think about that? I think that's a newly emergent, uh, thing it's probably only going to get you know not worse but just more prevalent well i guess worse depending on who you talk to uh but more prevalent as time goes on uh but you comment with your comment about the production value which i i understand and can agree to to a certain extent but i think that their stage setup was deceptively simple but I mean, there was a lot of movement and different staging and a lot of extras, honestly, and uh, a lot of choreography that was meant to look kind of improvised, but was very intricate because there's just so many, so many, uh, you know, so many people in so many different areas on staging, kind of inter- interacting and intersecting with each other. Uh, the only thing that kind of stuck out to me a little bit was that you know, if Kendrick Lamar was able to, you know, headline the halftime show himself, I think he would have done something more weekend-esque because his kind of segment was the most reminiscent to me of that kind of more grandiose style. But, I mean, for the the most part, the vast majority of halftime shows kind of more, more so lean on this side when you look at the history uh, you know, they they tend to just be more focused on artists playing the hits, and usually, usually it pays off, um, you know, pretty well. But, uh, but yeah, I, I thought this one was pretty solid. But I know there's a lot of other ones in the past. So, uh, Holly, since you haven't had a chance to comment, are there any that have stuck out to you that you might have watched that you've enjoyed? Um. Well. Uh, the halftime show, I usually would end up tuning it out. Honestly, whenever my family would watch the Super Bowl, I would end up tuning most of it out. So, like, 
the one, and this is not the best one, I know this by far, the one that stands out to me is the one that Coldplay did, uh, just because there were so many colors and it was in the afternoon and that was kind of unusual. Um, and I thought that was fun. That one had a sort of weird production value. I think I remember Beyonce. I definitely remember The Weeknd. Um, but yeah, I do not remember any of them super well. Um, but yeah, they definitely seem like they lean on like artists. And like it does usually seem like at some point every artist is like, and it's me, Beyonce, headlining the halftime show, but also here's someone else that I'm going to bring out. Um, so it does kind of usually feel like there are those, like, celebrity cameos to make people go, oh my god, it's them. Um, but yeah, I actually haven't even seen uh, this year's halftime show on replay. That is how out of the loop I am about this year's Super Bowl. All right, well, today I learned that Coldplay performed at the Super Bowl halftime show. Um, I guess I just completely blocked that out of my memory. Usually I would say the halftime show is kind of bottom priority for me, just I'm kind of focused on the actual game itself and figuring out what's going on on the field but you know i always do end up catching the halftime show and and things like that i think the j-lo and uh, shakira one from a few years ago was was really good that one stands out in recent memory but um yeah it's good to know uh, maybe i'll go back and watch some of the old halftime shows and try and do a, a little bit of a deep dive but I think, I mean, and going back to the weekend just one last time, I mean, I didn't think that was necessarily the best halftime show, Noah, like you were saying. I just thought I was impressed with the spectacle, but I think that's probably also why there was so much backlash on it. I remember people not liking it at the time, and I think it was because he tried to do something that was so different from all the typical uh, halftime shows that you were mentioning. So uh, it's something to, to keep in mind as well. But getting away from the halftime show, I think the other big part of the Super Bowl uh, is the ads. So any of the ads stand out to either of you this year? I don't know, Holly, maybe you kept, caught something on uh, social media afterwards, or Noah, you catch anything in real time uh, during the commercials that jumped out? I was like, because I was writing a paper, so I was on Twitter more often than I was writing the paper, but I did see people reacting to the ads. Was there like an absurd amount of ads for like crypto? Because that is all I saw anyone talking about. There's been there's been crypto ads kind of I think there's been an uptick in them over the last year, especially on like uh, during sports programming, like in the commercials. There's a Matt Damon crypto ad that's pretty big right now that's getting memed uh, all over the place. Um, but yeah, crypto, uh, the Quest Trade ads are are a big one as well. So a lot of financial driven stuff there. Um, I saw a really good tweet. I can't remember who it was from exactly, but I mean, I'm curious to hear your both of your thoughts on crypto, but I heard somebody say, um, it's hard for me to believe that cryptocurrency is real money because you don't ever see ads for money, uh, was basically the tweet. So I thought that was pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. Now I want to see ads for like Canadian currency. Get it. Like it's just going to. It is go get your twenty dollar bill today. <laughs> it is funny when you think of it that way. <laughs> yeah, puts it into but perspective. I don't like that they're using um, athletes are pushing this stuff, and I don't necessarily don't necessarily blame athletes. I get that they want to kind of capitalize, and you know, if that's the the offer on the table, then like I I get it. But 
I mean, I think people need a little bit of discretion to realize that, you know, this is kind of tough stuff to be putting your name to, right? And so often there's, you know, so often I hear as like a non-sports person per se that the, um, you know, that that it's on athletes to kind of live, you know, live a life off of the, off the field or, you know, outside of the game that is upstanding because they have fans who are, you know, children and impressionable and whatever. But if they're hawking uh, cryptocurrency, you know, I, I think that's worse than them getting caught, like, using drugs or something in their personal time. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. I mean, from a, from a sport management perspective, and maybe Holly can jump in on this one as well as a, a fellow SPEMA major, I know, um, you know, athletes often have clauses even built into their contracts, basically called um, like loyalty clauses and, and things like that. So just ensuring that they have good behavior off the field, off the ice, off the court, whatever it may be. And I, I do wonder when the leagues will try and draw the line and say, hey, don't advertise crypto or NFTs or things like that. Because these things, like, I, I don't know too much about them, but they seem like a very inaccessible uh, financial venture. Like, I don't, I don't think the common, you know, Joe Schmo can just go out and buy an NFT. Like, I think you need to have, like, a lot of money, right, from what I know. So... Um, at what point do the leagues sort of step in and say, hey, stop advertising this stuff and stop striking sponsorship deals with this? Um, but Holly, did you have any like input on that? Any any thoughts? Yeah, like it's one of those weird things because <laughs> like rich people seem to love crypto. And I think that like that kind of includes teams and leagues like it's not happening so much in North American sports yet, but there are a lot of European sports, like leagues and teams that have like official crypto partners, which I find mind boggling and baffling and freaking insane because like you said, nobody would be like, and let's put the logo for a Euro on these like soccer kits. Um, But they'll do that for like crypto.com. So I don't even know if like teams and leagues would want to step in because it like right now it makes so much money, but it seems kind of like, like, in the same way that in the early 2000s, everyone had, like, a dot-com ad partnership, sponsorship, whatever. Um, and then it kind of just, like, disappeared and that sort of bubble burst. I feel like it's going to be the same kind of thing where everyone is like, oh, my God, everyone's got to get an NFT and get into crypto. Um, and then it's going to backfire insanely. Um, so I think, like, long-term, it's definitely irresponsible for, like, athletes and leagues and teams to sort of be like hawking this stuff but i don't think they're gonna stop anytime soon because it does make them so much money real money not crypto yeah that is something i uh i think you always probably have to remember as well is as much as teams and leagues can you know put out the front that they're all about uh you know athlete empowerment and corporate social responsibility it's really the profit at the end of the day and we saw that recently the staples center which has been called the staples center since the late 90s uh, is no longer called the staples center in los angeles it's now the crypto.com arena and crypto.com played paid 700 million dollars uh, for the naming just the naming rights to that stadium it's not like they're even like 
um, you know, an official sponsor of the teams that play in there. It's not like they did like this big renovation on the stadium. It's just simply to have the stadium named crypto.com arena, $700 million. So I think that's a really good point, Holly. Like you will see teams and leagues profiting on all of this stuff while they can. On a totally un, well, related to that note, but unrelated to this conversation, I think that's the worst name ever. I think I didn't even until crypto.com was like, and until that became news that they were going to like uh, take over the naming of that um, stadium, I had not put it together that Staples Center was like staples staples like the store like it just to me it had always just flown or kind of just gone together like had a nice flow to it uh in the name that i had not even like put it together that what the brand was even though i know what staples like i've shopped at staples many times but i just didn't make the connection just because it was the name just sounded good to me i don't know it's just crypto.com just does not have that same ring to it at all <laughs> uh you're definitely not alone on that i had always like just seen staples center as staples center i didn't associate it with staples the stationery store really and like you you know I, I i've been to staples i've i've been there you know plenty of times in my life but when i thought of staples center i, st- I thought of this the arena not the brand staples and i think you know similar thing probably to a lesser degree with the the old Air Canada Center in Toronto. Like I, I saw that as the ACC. I didn't really necessarily associate it with Air Canada, the airline. Whereas I think there's a lot more jarring names that are coming out now, like crypto.com arena. You're not, that's not becoming synonymous with the LA Lakers or the LA Kings. That's just, it's just blatantly in your face cryptocurrency. You know, it's, that's not going to be, ingrained with the the teams itself or maybe it will be i'm not sure but they also are refusing to call it the crypt uh, as a nickname apparently crypto.com is not allowing that but that makes it a little better like the crypt that's kind of a cool name right i can see why they don't want that but <laughs> but it, There's it does a bit of a definitely have a better ring <laughs> the ring the ring is there when you call it the crypt but yeah i can see why they don't want that <laughs> Any uh, any last thoughts on the the Super Bowl? Maybe the game itself. We talked a lot about sort of the ancillary stuff surrounding the event. But any any thoughts on the the actual game, Noah or Holly? Anything? Any big picture thoughts on Super Bowls of years past? You want to share? I think as someone who did not watch and was trying to figure out who won, just from like being on social media and not googling it, it felt like everybody wanted the Bengals to win and nobody wanted the Rams to win. That, it, that was my general takeaway, because after nobody was talking about anything, so I was like, ah, the team that no one was cheering for must have won, and in fact, they did. And that that is my that was my Super Bowl experience this year. No, that's a really good point. It's something I wanted to bring up, actually. it's I don't think it's, it was quite as egregious as last, uh, or in the AFC Championship, where the Bengals played the Chiefs, who are uh, mostly hated because of Patrick Mahomes' Uh, TikTok starring family that people seem not to like, but Joe Burrow, the quarterback of the Bengals, he's developed such a, a following and a admiration, I think, especially among young fans. And it's turned into a thing where he's, he's basically his persona has 
eclipsed the actual team uh, in a sense. So I think everyone was sort of rooting for Joe Burrow just because, you know, he's a cool guy. He wears really nice outfits. He's got the shades. He smokes cigars after in the locker room. He says funny things in press conferences. So I think that also just goes to show how important it is to have somebody marketable like that uh, at the center of your team. But Noah, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I thought that was kind of funny because my – the, my Super Bowl party of one, two, three, four, like six of us. It's not really a party, but Super Bowl watching group of people. Uh, all of us were cheering for the Rams uh, because of how annoying Burroughs is and his whole persona is just kind of nauseating. Um, but I think that's because, you know, I'm kind of an old person at heart. And so I surround myself with some somewhat similar people so i think that might have more to do with it but yeah we were all cheering for the rams uh and you know there's a lot of talk that the uh you know this was not going to compete with some of the much like incredibly high energy and high stakes and uh, nail biter games in the in the playoffs but i thought it was a really good time i thought it you know was uh low scoring which you know some people find to be less interesting, but I think it just made the stakes higher in the end. Uh, you know, it was a tight game all the way through, and there was a couple, you know, key moments that were, uh, you know, really got everyone excited, like uh, right at the start of the third, as you mentioned, Liam, that huge, uh, what'd you say, 75-yard touchdown? Yeah, 75 yards up the sideline. Uh, mm-hmm. Should have been called back. There was a pretty bad penalty on the play that wasn't called, but definitely electrifying for sure. Yeah, lo- there's there's enough uh, moments that I think m- definitely didn't eclipse some of those uh, some of those bigger playoff games. But it wasn't. You know, everyone was saying it was going to be boring because those were so good. But I don't. I definitely don't think it was a bad game in the end. I think it was still quite a bit of fun to watch uh, in the moment. No, I agree. I thought it was a pretty good Super Bowl. I thought the season in general has been one of the best ones in recent memory. And in terms of just recent Super Bowls, I would say this is the best one since probably 2017. Uh, if you remember that that Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl, they throw the trick play to Nick Foles, uh, beat the Patriots, beat Tom Brady. I think it's probably the best game since then. But yeah, I think it was a really good game o- overall. Had you know an exciting halftime show. I want to give one shout out to the uh, the ad. I can't actually remember what brand it was for, but it was for one of the car companies, and it had uh, the actress that played Meadow Soprano on The Sopranos, and it was basically a recreation of The Sopranos intro, uh, driving through New Jersey and, and stuff like that. I thought that was really cool. Again, probably more pandering just for the nostalgia, um, but shout out to that ad. I really like that one too. I guess that wraps it up on the uh, Super Bowl conversation here. Any last notes any any comments you folks wanted to add on super bowl related things any hot takes for next year who do you think maybe is going to be the halftime performer next year i have my only like super bowl prediction is that they're gonna get taylor swift to perform the literal second that her coca-cola contract is up because she is sponsored by coca-cola but i know that they want her to perform and that would be probably like the biggest nostalgia halftime show people would hate it some people would love it but that is my prediction that she will do it the literal second that that contract expires that's why she's never done it that makes a lot of sense i mean if you want nostalgia i think that that's a big draw for sure 
I also didn't know that that's why she hasn't done it, but it makes total sense. I want to see someone like really old coming in here. I know this is, this would be good for Noah. I know you're into the classic rock stuff, but like give, give me like Elton John or something at the Super Bowl halftime show. Maybe he did it way back in the day, but give me someone like him. Maybe he can perform with Lil Nas X uh, on stage at halftime. I know they have the Uber Eats commercials going now. Uh, I'm now realizing, considering how many commercials I know, that I I probably need to limit my sports watching because I know way 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 too many commercials. Um, it's a little frightening, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sit with that one for a bit. As far as I know, as the resident classic rock enjoyer, I don't think Elton John has done it. But kind of the and this isn't necessarily a knock on him or anything, but kind of the trend I see, I have a list here of the Super Bowl performances and the time when him and his contemporaries uh, and even people older than him were performing was like 15 years ago. Some of them even almost 20 years ago. Um, I think he's beyond the point just at his age. And it's not him specifically. I think it kind of goes for a lot of people that they could really be a, be a major part of a, you know, high energy and fun halftime show without, you know, risking damage to the reputation. So I think he would have to be a featured performer or, or others of his age. I think similarly would have to essentially come out for, a single song or something like that. Sadly, as as you said, I'm a big fan of that era of music, but I think a lot of them are past the point of giving a, a Super Bowl halftime performance, sadly. Yeah, that's probably a better role for him just as a as a supporting piece at this stage in his career. But I would definitely like to see like a lineup similar to what they had this year of just kind of like classic rock artists. I think that would be really cool to see okay so speaking of sports um this is what you get when there are two speed remainders on the podcast um i wrote about sports this week i wrote about the olympics i have been watching a lot of the olympics um i think as is my right as a sport management major um but yeah so i went to the olympics one of the sort of things that i have seen though coming out of just the way that people talk about the olympics is that like all of the venues and all of the things that are happening in Beijing are getting this weird, like, dystopian label. So people just sort of seeing things like there was this picture of, like, a server and they were wearing, like, a whole lot of, like, personal protective equipment, obviously because COVID. Um, and someone just snapped a picture and they were like, that's so dystopian. And I was kind of like, what them, like, having the safety equipment to do their jobs. Um, but what I read about specifically was the Big Air venue. Um, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's like a skiing and snowboarding thing. You jump really high and do some flips. It's pretty cool. Uh, but basically it was being held in front of a decommissioned steel factory, and it looked a little bit like a nuclear power plant. Um, it just looked very industrial, so a lot of people ended up referring to it as dystopian and, you know, just like a weird... It To me, at least, what I wrote about is how it's sort of emblematic of the way that Western countries talk about China and especially the IOC's decision to allow them to host the games, there seems to be kind of a double standard there. 
Um, so I guess I just wanted to ask you guys, um, have you been watching the Olympics? Have you noticed any kind of any of this kind of discourse, rhetoric about China and the venues? I've not been really watching the Olympics all that much. Um, I'm ashamed to say it because, you know, when I was a kid, it felt like the Olympics were something to look forward to every couple of years you watch. You know, every event I remember when I was a kid, I would sit down and I would watch hours of like biathlon or skeet shooting or, you know, luge or skeleton, just all kinds of these random events that I had no idea what was actually going on. But this year, I, I mean, I've caught a little bit of the skiing. I've caught a little bit of hockey. But other than that, not too much. Um, I do think that the time zones really doesn't help either. Similar issue last uh, Summer Olympics in Tokyo. It's just hard to watch things either really, really early in the morning or really late at night. It's just not necessarily lining up with our viewing patterns. But back to what your sort of article was all about originally, the sort of whole dystopian thing. I do think that word has been uh, adopted into the discourse a lot in recent years. And I think it, it's thrown around probably a little too liberally, like you were mentioning, like just because something looks a little odd doesn't make it dystopian necessarily um so i think that has something to do with it but no i'm curious to hear your thoughts i wish i had really interesting thoughts on this but i just don't really care for the olympics that much um it's weird the time that it was hosted in canada was such a weird time i don't know i don't know about um youtube but like no, that's that would be a lot. It's it was the second Olympics that I was like aware of. I remember watching Beijing the first time, not this one, in 08. Or well, maybe that's not the first time. I'm not totally sure, but that time, um, yeah, I remember watching that one. Uh, obviously, too young for the the political discussion, and also we didn't have the internet around in the same way we do today, so it wasn't. I feel as big of a discussion at that time although it very well could have been uh but yeah kind of came around to it at that point and then obviously when it was hosted in canada you know that was a huge huge deal we were um we were watching it in classes i remember in like the library i always had a, a stream going and uh yeah we watched that a lot uh, in school even so i remember that one a lot uh but since then i have not really engaged uh with the olympics much at all um this one is coming at an interesting time, uh, and I do think that, and Holly, you mentioned this too, that there's absolutely legitimate uh, concern and criticism to having uh, the games hosted in Beijing, but um, definitely that is being used as an excuse to say a lot of other stuff, and for a lot of people who really don't know um, why it's an issue that it's hosted in Beijing to come up with whatever reason they want <laughs> for it to be an issue. And yeah, that comes off as, uh, as, uh, you know, problematic at best. And, you know, in, in some cases kind of blatantly, uh, you know, racist, uh, towards Chinese people and towards China and unfair to the country for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think that comes more for people's, uh ignorance to things right not maybe having heard that people are upset that it's being hosted here or maybe even hearing about you know diplomatic boycotts of the olympics uh but then you know not following through not really understanding 
what that means. And no, uh, the reason that, you know, the Olympics and people are questionable about it being hosted in China is not because their servers have PPE uh, at restaurants. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just the way that people are talking about it does feel very like reductive and simplistic. I think when like we talked about the article um, as I was writing it, I think what I said was like, that I've noticed that a lot of the criticism just sort of comes down to people going like China bad um, just because that's what people in Western nations are kind of taught to believe like it happened a little bit to an extent in 2014 with Sochi and Russia and it just it just so happens to be all of those nations that like Western governments don't really like um, so it does kind of feel like People are sort of accusing Beijing of being, like, a vehicle for the Chinese government to spread sort of propaganda. Uh, but I think equally to an extent, there's, like, propaganda being spread about China in other countries. Um, so I guess another thing that I wanted to bring up and ask you guys was... I talked a little bit in the article about other places where there have been, like, huge issues um, that have gotten close to the Olympics. Um... And it d seems sort of like there is no way to have the Olympics without political controversy, without the host nation in some way being imperfect and, you know, in many cases having done some, like, terrible, horrible things. Um, so I guess I was wondering if you guys think there's, like, is there a solution to that? Is there a way to fix that? Should nations get to host the Olympics even if they have a terrible human rights record? Well, I think, like you mentioned, like, there's going to be an issue with near every host venue for the olympics i mean whether it was i remember the big thing in 2016 in rio was um just the economic state of the country and the the housing situation in in brazil and i'm not going to pretend like i'm informed enough on any of that to speak eloquently on it but i do think the solution is probably to have just a neutral site for the olympics i think that's probably what would be the most kind of avoid the most controversy but that being said that then defeats pretty much the entire purpose of the olympics so it's sort of a catch-22 there um but yeah i do think like no matter where the olympics goes there's going to be backlash that follows i think is, is probably um inevitable i have a slight hot take that i wanted to throw in sorry holly really quick but i want both of your thoughts on it too so that's why i wanted to mention it now um, I don't think, yes, there's some performative, um, justice stuff happening in sports lately, but I don't think, uh, the sports world, professional sports world is a site where you're for, um, you know, for justice like that. Um, and it might come off a little harsh or a little cynical, but like, I mean, the Olympics were hosted in Nazi Germany for crying out loud. I mean, like... <laughs> There, there's no history of the Olympics being hosted in reputable places by reputable governments. It is a propaganda fest. If you choose to engage with that, you choose to engage with that. You should be aware that they are trying to sell you an image of their country, whoever is hosting it. That should be obvious and that should be understood when people watch it. But, yeah, I don't think this is a site of real, like, Justice. I know we're in a time when there's, you know, the hope is that everything is can be a force for good and that we can pick apart the bad parts of everything and remove them and the world will be perfect. But, like, 
the Olympics are, have, ne have never been a site for that type of like really progressive thought and, and really like um, consistent um, moral action. <laughs> so like, I, I don't think it's not to say it's not fair to put that on them. Like ever, I guess, you know, that's a fair lens to look at it through, but I don't know people coming to this as if like, this is the first time of all of this happening. And like, you know, this is news to anyone. It just, I don't know. I, I share some of Holly's sentiments on it. I mean, I, I did think I do support the diplomatic boycott of this Olympics. And I had at one point written that the, we should have pulled athletes as well. I do. I have since kind of gone back on that, but I do support the diplomatic uh, boycott because I do think that is fair. But I mean, the, the bar is low for the history of the Olympics. And so I don't think, you know, them hosting in China is grounds to say that they've reached some new, some new low. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like exactly what I think too. Not like exactly, obviously there are some nuances that I might disagree on, but yeah, I think like at its core, the, and I'm not saying like, I believe that like, this is going to sound very schema of me, but I do believe that like the Olympic movement and the, Olympism and like the Olympics can be a good thing. They can, you know, revitalize countries. They can help people's economies. They can be a force for good if they're used in the right way. I don't think that the International Olympic Committee, though, has ever been a force for good. But also, at the end of the day, I also believe that the way that people talk about China getting to host, pointing to their human rights records, and, you know, Nobody was saying this about Vancouver. Nobody is saying it about Paris. Nobody. There was some discussion of like Sochi and Rio. Um, but yeah, there's not really as much criticism of sort of Western developed countries as there is of what we sort of view as like the other countries. Um, so yeah, I do think that the Olympics can be a good thing. I do think there's value in the Olympics. I really like the Olympics, um, just to be totally honest. But I also believe that like the IOC does not ever have people's best interests in mind. But I also sort of like think that like countries where governments do bad things, that's not a reflection of the people. Um, and I think to sort of isolate an entire people from the rest of the world and the things that we do like to say like the Middle East can never have any mega sporting events because certain governments do bad things and oh also it just so happens that like governments and political systems in western countries don't like the Middle East um I think that to sort of exclude entire populations from just things that we do as like a society and as the western world I don't think that that is necessarily fair or particularly ethical if that makes sense yeah, I agree with a lot of what both of you are saying. I would, I would also uh, say that sports in general has the ability to spotlight, you know, issues like the ones we're talking about. I, I probably agree with Noah in saying that the Olympics themselves um, probably aren't solving any problems or anything like that. But um, the other thing, Holly, I think you touched on it briefly, was just the the, the fact that. A lot of the recent Olympics have been held in non-Western countries, non-English-speaking countries. You look at 2014 in Sochi, 2016, I guess, in uh, Brazil, 2018 in, I think it was in Pyeongchang, uh, and then Tokyo and Beijing most recently. I, I do wonder, maybe it's 
I mean, from my perspective, it could just be because I'm getting older and the Olympics fundamentally just mean a lot less to me now than they did when I was a kid. But I wonder how much of that meaning uh, for other people, especially in North America, is because the Western world hasn't really hosted an Olympics since 2012 in London and 2010 in Vancouver. So I, I do think that has a lot to do with it as well and just sort of the, the perceived devaluing of the Olympics, um, just so many of them being in uh, different other parts of the world that are so different than ours. So this week, uh, one of our news editors, Devon Shah, wrote about Airbnb in a recent settlement that they had reached in a class action lawsuit that was filed against them because they were not accurately showing customers the prices that they would actually be charged for rentals as they would exclude certain fees, hide them uh, from the initial listing. Uh, and so this is known as double ticketing, which is when a seller puts two or more prices on a product or service and then the consumer is charged the higher price. Um, this is illegal in Canada. Uh, of course, I mean, we'll get into it, but you know, the way that, that can actually be enforced is kind of tricky. Uh, but in this case, it kind of was almost enforced. <laughs> a class action is a little bit different than actually, you know, being found guilty. They were not found guilty of double ticketing. Uh, they did not admit any guilt whatsoever, but they will be providing uh, a small settlement to people who uh, booked with them between October 2015 and June 2019. Uh, so first off, are either of you going to be like 40 bucks richer in Airbnb credits in the next few months. <laughs> uh, I am not. I've actually never stayed at an Airbnb, so I will not be falling into that group. I will also not be 40 Airbnb dollars richer. I have also never used Airbnb. I don't really intend to ever use Airbnb. I don't love the idea of staying in someone else's house. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I've stayed in a few. Um, but never, so like, I know when it was kind of first a thing, at least I remember hearing about it, it was like, yeah, people were renting out their, um, their spare bedroom or they were renting out their house that they live in because they were gone on vacation for a week. And so it was essentially like micro subletting in a way. Um, but the reality is, which shouldn't necessarily be too surprising is that it's essentially just turned into a way to avoid, you know, the fees of like being part of like a larger network of rental vacation homes and things like that. Cause the only times we've ever stayed or I've ever stayed in Airbnbs is on family vacations where we've rented vacation homes. So homes that are specifically set out to be, you know, rented and are not lived in and renting uh, you know, essentially like the equivalent of like a, well, I mean, I'll, as, yeah, the same thing, just in different locale for like different amounts of time. So just like a you know, small, like little vacation home type deals. Uh, but I don't think I've been the one to book them. So I don't think I'm going to be richer in Airbnb bucks either, sadly, but, um, Ollie kind of brought it up. Uh, I'm curious, both of your thoughts on kind of this whole, you know, micro subletting market and like this uber kind of approach to hotels and and vacation booking i'm curious if you guys have any hot takes on that if that's you think is a 
a good development or you know something risky as we've seen here where you know rules are hard to enforce i'm curious if you have any thoughts i don't love it like you kind of called it the uberification of things and yeah that's kind of what it is um because it is really just sort of a way to dodge regulations that keep consumers and also workers safe um so that's probably one of the reasons why i'm not a fan of this kind of stuff um like i've definitely taken ubers i've definitely ordered delivery food but airbnb is just one that i have never really gotten behind um yeah i just think it's weird i don't trust it which might make me sound kind of like an old man um but yeah i would rather just stay in a hotel yeah i don't really trust it either um but the other thing is i don't i also don't really like go anywhere i mean i haven't been on vacation since i was i think 12 years old so i haven't really had a reason to get an airbnb at any time but you know it does make me think you talk about uberification i it does make me think like what's next you know taxis have been uberified and delivery food delivery has been uberified and now hotels and uh is there any other like industries that you think might be heading that way or you think there could be a potential to be headed that way seems kind of like almost everything is trending in the like depersonalized and like uh you know against ownership kind of direction where things are just kind of nebulous and like you're paying for services that give you access to these things but you never are i mean equity is a rich term but essentially you're never um you know, you're, you're never putting your money towards actually the ownership of something. It's always owned by these companies. And so you're just kind of working through middlemen through these like app service things. I think that's becoming extremely common. Uh, you know, Uber made that incredibly popular. I was, you know, kudos to them for for that work, even though I, <laughs> I've, I've written articles about, you know, my thoughts on them. But like for for Airbnb in particular, like there's savings to be found here, and I think I, I get it from your guys' perspective who just haven't used it or like haven't gone on vacation, like you said, Liam. Um, my family, so we make a point. I mean, other than in the last two years to to go down to Florida every year, um, but we are by no means wealthy. <laughs> we by no means have a lot of money. Uh, there are a lot of us. So uh, for a long time, when it was just me and my, my sisters, the five of us, we'd rent a condo. And I mean, after the economic crash in like 08, 09, that became really affordable to do because uh, vacationing in Florida was hit really hard because there's a lot of Canadians that would go there. And so, you know, the, the market was really chilled off by that. And so it was quite affordable to do that. Uh, that price was ever creeping up in the last few years. And I'd say it was three or like four years ago, I think, uh, the first time that my dad booked with Airbnb. And I think he paid he paid under $2,000 for a house that sleeps like a dozen people for a week, which is a incredibly affordable price much cheaper than we paid for much smaller accommodations and 
you know, we were still working with a vacation rental company. They were just, instead of having their, you know, bookings go through another website, they were going through Airbnb, which was cheaper. Uh, yes, Holly, you're right. It almost certainly means that there was less uh, regulation on them, less that required them to hold things up to standard. Uh, but having not had any bad experiences yet, it's hard for me to, you know, scoff at the radically lower prices given the great experience that we've had personally. But I realize that is anecdotal. Uh, structurally, I do agree with you that <laughs> it would be better for the world that, you know, this Uberification was not happening. But, you know, as, as I know, you know, as an individual economic actor, I can't make those types of changes myself. So I will take advantage of what is available in our actually dystopian uh, world we live in. <laughs> so now kind of going away from uh, Airbnb specifically. Um, so the, the issue that was at hand here was double ticketing, which again, to reiterate, Airbnb was not found guilty of double ticketing. Uh, but this, but similar, um, you know, actions where, you know, a seller might put a cheaper price to lure you in and then you find the, uh, the price with the fees at the end, uh, whether that is legally def definitionally double ticketing or not, I'm sure we've all seen that <laughs> a lot. So I'm just curious, um, both of your thoughts on that, uh, you know, if that should be something that's gone away with, if you think double ticketing should be made, you know, more stringent, right. To maybe catch more of that under that definition. If, you know, I'm, I'm just curious where you guys land on that. I see it like a lot of the time with like, especially like concert tickets. It happens to like an extent with sports tickets, but less so I think concert tickets are like insane and all of the extra fees that they'll put on. It's like all like go buy a cheap ticket for like 20 bucks and I'm like, woo, $20 concert. And then it's like $5 handling fee and like $5 delivery fee and like, I don't know, $5 venue fee and like the fees add up and it's like 50 bucks to go see this $20 show. And it's also especially crazy because it's like delivery fee, handling fee, when like I am printing these tickets at home myself, I am doing the work here. Um, so that is the thing that I have noticed probably extra fees getting added on to um all the time and they add it in the same way that like you'd add tax so i don't think it's like technically definitionally legally double ticketing um but it is definitely one of those circumstances where you think you're paying one amount and then you end up paying way more yeah i've noticed it as well like like holly was saying mostly on tickets like i can remember going to blue jays games in the summer and like there was just always all these extra fees adding up probably not as many as concert tickets but that's where i'd probably notice it the most i've always i've never felt it as like something that's inherently wrong or should be you know more publicized or should be illegal or anything like this and i think this is probably the the i mean, not double ticketing but it's it's a less extreme case of uh extra fees being added on but i've always just kind of seen it as annoying and just a bit of a hindrance more than anything um so i you know i don't really i mean what would be an example of like a a much bigger uh sort of double ticketing um situation like what what sorts of companies are we looking looking at here that might uh try to do that i'm just not too informed on the on the whole 
process, whole concept. That I think is the issue. I think it's unclear. I think the fact that we're all a little bit confused on exactly what double ticketing is um, versus like an, an actual mix up of like prices and whatnot, like, um, or, or, you know, hidden fees, which I do not think qualify uh, as double ticketing. Like, I think it needs to be more clear. I do think that the law needs to be more clear because I do think there's a consumer protection angle to this that is important. You know, I don't think the point is to like, send someone from a company to jail for for charging a price that has hidden fees or something like that but it's more just making sure that it's communicated to people when they put in their credit card or when they you know agree to to buy something that they might be charged for later that you know the price that they agreed to is exactly the price like there's there should be no reason to have hidden fees like all fees should be required to be out in the open and clearly communicated to you i think that's a fair consumer protection, um, you know, uh, law to have on the books. It's just, I, I can see why enforcement of that and even just, you know, uh, defining that would be incredibly difficult. <laughs> that does it for another episode of The Latest. Thank you, Holly and Liam, for joining me to talk about these great articles today. And thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember that you can find the full articles we talked about here today and many, many more by going to our website, www.brockpress.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Brock Press. Uh, on top of following us on social media, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you're going to find your podcasts. Uh, just be sure to look us up uh, the latest The Brock Press podcast and you can find us with no issues. Uh, you can also find the podcast on our YouTube channel and also on our website. With all that said, thanks again, and we will see you next time for another episode.